it's working for me. Welcome to an all-star limitless. This is Jason Halsey, and so I'm talking to Kingsley Dennis. Just can't see. So, so I guess it's time to talk Iron Man. <laughs> if we can. Right. Yeah. If we, if we can, yeah. Have you, when was the last time you chatted about Iron Man? Oh, I don't know if I ever have, actually. Well, I mean, he comes up as a reference point here and there. Uh, maybe I talked with Dale Brunsford mm-hmm. about Iron Man. I don't recall. Um, yeah, how about you? Likewise, not many people are familiar with the, the reference. Not in, um, let's say, waking life. I mean, I come across it in, in some people's written stuff, and like yours included, but the people I speak to face-to-face, no, no. Um, you know, so... You can talk about, you can talk around it, like technology and the forces through technology. Um, you may get away, I think really, um, talk about Ironman, you have to talk about Gnosticism. And that seems to be a more kind of um, relatable kind of subject. Yeah, I remember there's an Araman quote, it might have been in the piece I sent you, even where, I mean, a Steiner quote, where he said that Araman is, is the demiurge as a young man or something like that. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, I looked, I liked, I looked through the, the stuff you sent me, and um, especially the, the, um, the few pages on Araman. And there's a, I like the way, I mean, I want to speak to you about the way you frame it, because... Um, you see it as kind of, um, you talk about Lucifer's shadow and then Ariman kind of coming out of Lucifer's shadow, like the, as kind of the animated shadow of Lucifer is what you put it down as. And that all goes back to the kind of Golgotha event, you know? And I haven't, I haven't actually seen anyone relate the whole Golgotha event to Ariman and, um, and that idea of the kind of animated shadow. So that was kind of new to me. Mm. Um, and I know Steiner talks a lot about the Golgotha event, yeah. but generally in the kind of etheric Christ thing, which I still haven't kind of got, got to grips with the, you know, the etheric Christ of Steiner. Um, but um, did you look into the Paul Emerson stuff? No. Should I have? <laughs> no, no, I mean, I've only just kind of got, got into his into his work, but it's hard to get. But I did manage to get, a, as I mentioned, a physical copy from oh, yeah. the Steiner bookshop that they sent. Um, um, and he's like, um, he's going, he's tracing whole evolution of like technology and in um, incarnations and technological advances that build on, build on each one, each one to create this kind of whole lineage of, of slowly building up the mechanization of the kind of construct of mental, the mental construct. And he goes all the way back to the Institute of Gondishapur. 
Um, and what he says is, is um, quite interesting. He says that um, there was this institute called Ganeshapur in Persia. And it was like similar to like the, the house of wisdom in um, Baghdad, where they wanted to concentrate all the kind of knowledge and the science and the wisdom of the age. And when the when the kind of I think it was um, one of I think it was Justinian, one of the Christian emperors, kind of banned all the the kind of non-orthodox Christian sects like the Nestorians. Then the Persian king welcomed them to Gondishapur, his kind of institute, and they wanted to build up a kind of this, this kind of knowledge and wisdom. And what Steiner says is that at this time, um, Sorath which is the great kind of, you know, being of, of, the, of, of the evolution, wanted to hijack this institute. And the, the plan, um, which is quite uh, sneaky or crafty, is that rather than kind of destroying the institute, they wanted to advance it. But advance it so quickly that humanity would would develop all these ideas, i.e. more or less technological ideas, but too fast before their consciousness were ready to work with the ideas. Mm. So they would go down a mode of self-destruction, you know? Mm. So they would create all the technology too fast and it would like, we would, they would create um, a technological intellectual mindset which would go into a devolutionary stage much, much faster. And what um, and what Paul Emerson says is that there was a counter plan to this, and what happened was they there was a new impulse, a kind of um, spiritual impulse in the lineage of uh, Islam and, and the and Muhammad and the Prophet, whereby Islam um, arose upon the earth, and of course at the same time as this Persian Empire was growing. So when Islam took over the lands, the Islamic rulers took over the institute and turned it away from, and from too much intellectualization and put in, once again, a spiritual impulse, which pulled it back. And I've never come across a kind of origin theory of Islamic, you know, the Islamic impulse in that way. So I thought it was kind of intriguing. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's definitely outside my uh, jurisdiction. Uh, where does Araman come in? Araman relates to Soros, does he? Well, Soros is like the, um, you know, the big daddy of them all. Yeah. And Araman is, is kind of uh, working with Soros, but kind of one of the emissaries or something. Oh, he's lower echelon, is he? I thought Araman was was right up there with, a, <clears throat> with the Steiners, well, in Steiners Trinity, really, of Christ, Lucifer, and Iron Man. So. Uh, but of course, we, we get, I mean, we get a bit too close to Scientology if we get too much into all the different entities, taxonomies of entities and stuff. Uh, and my, mm -hmm. I, I actually would need refreshing on that piece I sent you because it's so old, but you've, you have reminded me of what I was trying to do back then by looking at Araman, Lucifer and Christ as a trinity and then relating it to the Golgotha event 
and the Greek cathartic theater, you know, what it, what it meant for the divine to incarnate in a human being and then die. And what Steiner talks about that the God, a God chose to experience death. There's a lot of, um, provocative ideas in there or stimulating ideas. And what I tried to do then and what I, has been my methodology for a long time, really. I'm sure I'd do it very differently now, uh, was to make sense of it in a psychological, not just psychological, but a deep psychological context of uh, that what, what we might intuit and somewhat map if we, if we gather esoteric knowledge as a metaphysical landscape and dynamic and even evolutional progression uh, is mirrored, mirroring or mirrored by uh, an internal, like we're configured, these same forces that we might try and map and interpret and analyze uh, out, out there metaphysically or even sociopolitically is mirroring well, they are the same forces that have shaped us. So, so to me, mm-hmm. uh, it's, well, it seems as though I can only even talk about these things or try and understand them, our man, Christ, Lucifer, etc. if I can refer to them internally. Like, okay, well, so there's, that's Lucifer, and here's Christ, and there's our mm-hmm. man, and, and get a sense of, how they work together. I mean, a lot of it is intellectual analytical, particularly back in the day when I wrote that piece I sent you. But hopefully it's also, it's very intuitive. I'm a very intuitive writer. Should be careful about using that word because intuitive tends to imply that you're right, right? But I mean, I'm not just working out logically. I'm trying to follow a a non-rational feeling and then make it rational. That was what I was trying to do there with Iron Man. So it's, it's interesting here you talk about it, actually, because I, I only dimly remember what I wrote there about Iron Man being Lucifer's shadow. But I presume that I had a way of understanding that, again, like internally, or what are these internal processes, Lucifer being the, in Steiner's view, Lucifer being this impulse within us to... Uh, um, be creative and to express and to expand and to reach upward and to aspire. Uh, um, and our man being more of a contracting force that reduces everything down to more materials is, is constantly re- reinforcing the limits of things. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm just very much improvising this now, but then Christ the logos is the ratio between things. So uh, maybe maybe I was trying to get at something there. And even the idea of Golgotha being a god who wants to who wants to experience death, that's like the infinite wanting to experience the finite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I, I I I mean I agree with you, you kind of because we're humans, we can only kind of work things out if we internalize it. So mm. these ideas of the intellectual, the imagination, again, they're words, but they're forces. And if we can kind of 
feel it, then we can relate to it. If you just talk about Lucifer and Araman as abstract terms, it doesn't work. Um, what I what I kind of, I mean, what I got from what you were saying about the Golgotha event is that um, the event where God incarnated in the body of Christ was to kind of uh, man- bring out or birth kind of empathy mm. in the human being, because otherwise it, w- it would remain in a kind of intellectual consciousness, very a very kind of dry one, which, as you say, is constricted. So you have the Luciferic impulse, which was, you say, through the imagination and through the creativity, um, it was still a kind of reminder that there's this sacred spark in the human being. Because you know, if you're longing for something, you may not know what you're longing for, but you have the sensation of longing. So it's still a kind of reminder trigger, which was still available in the Luciferic impulse. But Ariman totally wanted to cut that off, to kind of cut off the recognition that there's a contact with something greater than the human being in the body. And so to do that, you know, it had to go very constrictive, very intellectual. And so I think when, what I understood from your framing of the Golgotha event was this, this kind of force, it's imagination from Lucifer. Then it was time for Christ to bring out the empathy, the kind of, in a sense, emotion contact um, within the human being. And because Ariman, Ariman's power comes through the idea of the finality of death. You know, if you always have death, then you're always going to be a kind of, you know, a, a mortal, rigid human being because you think that your life is finite. So, and you have fear of death. And you, I mean, I never come across this before, but you said that Christ tricked Ariman because after the death, Ariman thought he'd won to prove that, you know, God comes into a human being, but you die anyway. But the resurrection was like the trump card. That by coming back, Araman knew that they'd been tricked because now humanity had the, the seed of resurrection is possible, life after death. And that's totally against the, the Araman extreme. Do you remember writing about that? Does that uh, come back? I do now that you've said it, and I, I got tingles actually when you were saying it. I was in my Aeolus Cephas days, so I was I was trying to channel, not in a New Age sense, but just as I said, really tune in as much as possible to my um, soul signal, my own transmission, and and, and deliver it. Uh, so yeah, this is it's interesting to that because I don't know how I came up with that, but it sounds it sounds plausible to me. And um, I mean, I'm I'm seeing it through a different lens now. So I'll tell you what I'm seeing now. Are you talking? I'll try to, which is because you brought it down to these qualities, which I think is it's it's much better. It's like working with clay rather than just mathematical formulas or something. You can really get our hands in it. Talk about the intellect, talk about the imagination, talk about empathy. Um the I, I was it was occurring to me anyway that it might relate to I mean do you know that you know Julian Jaynes is the origin of the bicameral mind. I'm guessing you know that book. Yeah. Um, that idea that we've we've evolved, our consciousness has evolved, of course, with what Steiner was all into the evolution of consciousness, uh, from 
and we could even bring in the mythology mythology of lucifer uh one interpretation of it which is kind of uh is a way to converge the lucifer mythos with that of the the titans i forget what the origin of that myth is but anyway that human humanity was created out of the broken parts of a god's body that that mythological idea um that lucifer well one of the ways i've understood the lucifer archetypal story was that lucifer was uh, was god incarnating in the early days was splitting off from god and that the, the split off from the total consciousness into a more localized consciousness in order to enter into the creation was traumatic and so there was a, there was a there was a reaction against that, which was Lucifer's rebellion. And we could even say that what we see in human beings when there's intense, overwhelming trauma uh, in the body, that the, the intellect develops, or the, the mind develops in a particular way as a defense against the trauma. So, so I was imagining what Iron Man is, a certain sense, maybe that relates to what I was saying, the shadow of Lucifer back then, the, the way that the intellect congealed around the awareness of death so that it became central to its whole awareness our awareness and the intellect itself became a defense against that awareness and that all of this was as in a human being's uh, journey we go from being one with the mother's body which is say kind of with all of existence symbolically maybe literally to to separating and becoming an individual well julian james's theories to me seem to relate to how collectively this has happened too that we in an earlier stage of evolution maybe we could say adam and eve i don't know but we were not aware of existing as individuals so we were just we were, we were connected to the whole human species or the whole of nature even in a way that steiner writes about too that we just didn't we just weren't aware of any difference of any existence as a separate self. And that as that awareness of separation develops, which archetypally or mythologically relates to the fall of man, not not just the fall of Lucifer, um, and because the intellect, because there was some sort of premature or accelerated nature to that development of individuation, the intellect kicked in in a way that was we see this in prodigious children or or adults who you know develop prodigious intellect because of their trauma as children um that uh there was um yeah an unnatural kind of separation occurred uh disconnection not just becoming aware of being separate from the from others and from creation, but actually becoming disconnected from it as a defense against trauma. And, and so then um, the need for empathy comes in because as, as the intellect develops, as a sense of separate self develops prematurely, uh, we, we can end up um, being so disconnected from reality from others and what's around us we're connected disconnected from our own bodies and that becomes a pathology which leads to well our romantic death and destruction let's say just to stay on theme and then christ coming in to say no this isn't this is this is not the way i mean this is just not the way it's going to lead to the destruction of everything 
and so Christ has to uh, the divine principle that well it transcends any kind of survival or self-preservative instincts because I think our man relates to the instincts as well I think it's a sort of materialized it's a consciousness or existence reduced to the absolute material basics so it's a weird combination of the intellect and the body awareness but the body awareness is not um again it's contracted so it's not it's aware of itself as separate from nature and therefore as, as the mortality is somehow terrifying so then that that the, the, the physical awareness, material reductionism, the physical awareness gets reduced to a kind of shell or an armor. I mean, I'm really all over the map here. There's, there's just so many different images and whatnot. Mm. But I think the main point I wanted to make was but how the, the Christ, the Golgotha event and the Christ impulse intervention may have been necessary for our evolution because of the need for empathy when you've lost the absolute uh, total felt sense of being connected to others. You need to have a, a sense of being connected that allows you to retain your individuality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, also you brought up the idea of the body, but I want to kind of tie that into what's happening now more so around the body. Because I think there's a lot happening around the, you know, the notion of the body and the, mechanization but i don't want to jump right now to that subject i want to kind of st still go back kind of uh, a bit further we're still kind of you know coming out of the golgothry event um like you said there's you know yeah i for me that i sense that yes there was a kind of collective uh human consciousness a kind of collectivity that hadn't fully individuated before um in early you know in a kind of earlier consciousness mode of humanity. And, but if you go to the other extreme, which as you say is complete kind of the individual self, but cut off, then you've got the two extremes. And when you're cut off, then, you know, they, you lose the kind of evolutionary impulse because you're not in the kind of the stream. You're not in the kind of, um, let's say you're more, if you're totally cut off, you're more in entropy mm. because, you know, you have to be an open system. To, to evolve and, and, and you know, bring in the elements and the energies, you have to be an open system. Closed systems always you know, eventually uh, go through entropy, a closed system. And the sense that Ariman has been pushing towards humanity to see itself more as a closed system, which is the kind of negative individualization. But the positive individuated, individuated self, which I think Jung talked about a lot and was trying to push towards, was a sense that, yes, we can have an individuated self, but that still understands, recognizes, and participates with the collective whole. In that sense, you're still in an evolutionary movement, whereby if you're totally individuated or cut off, you know, you kind of cut off your, you know, your, let's say, your, your nutrients. And I think Araman, as you say, is pushing towards a sense of the body and materiality, um, but my sense is that Araman is trying to re represent, if we're talking about forces rather than trying to, you know, visualize beings, then Araman is like a force of entropy mm -hmm. within humanity. And, and Stein has always talked about that, you know, the Aramanic impulse was to ultimately, um, you know, 
stop the evolution of the human uh, trajectory. So, um, but Steiner did say that after the Golgotha event, Iron Man was able to gain influence in human consciousness. Yeah. So it's almost as if, it's almost as if in order to go forward, i.e. Um, bring in the empathy or the love impulse into humanity, you had to do it by opening the door further to Ariman. You couldn't do it just in one way, you know? So in order to take two steps forward, you had to allow the, the opposing force one step also. Mm. And that's why we cannot go forward without having this, this confluence of forces. You cannot take out Ariman and just have the evolutionary forces because it won't work. So you had to bring in Ariman into great influence but we were also given the opportunity to understand more through the love empathy impulse. You know, you understand what I'm saying? We were given the means to go forward, but only if we allowed to be in contestation with the opposing forces. Yeah.
you think that what you're saying there relates to um, well, because I think Lucifer, one of the attributes that Steiner gives to Lucifer is that it's always a sparring upward and to disconnect that Lucifer is trying to lure us into an evolutionary stream that bypasses the earth and that doesn't allow itself to become fully bonded or incarnated in the earth realm, something like that, paraphrasing. Uh, and where, so, but, so an awareness of entropy and the, the, the physical limits of the body and of death would be a counterbalance to that. So there's something in us that's really this Luciferian that's always trying to transcend its limits and refuses to be confined to just material existence, even though that's the divine plan that's necessary for the evolution to happen, for the spirit to in, you know, fully incarnate in matter so that matter can be transformed. That impulse then to avoid that, probably again sourced in trauma, um, dissociative impulse really it needs the arimanic thing to pull us back down in into the matter just as in human lives often physical hardship even disease can be well it can certainly be a harsh lesson there's no doubt about that but it can also be an opportunity like some people really develop um they just become much more grounded and more real and, and more open and receptive, more loving, more empathic, and so on, through physical hardship and, and sickness and death, even. Yeah, that's the sense I get. And I, I, I do have a, I can't place it, but I do remember Steiner saying somewhere that the Aramanic forces were necessary. In fact, were even allowed their, their kind of influence because it's necessary to kind of get the ball rolling for the whole kind of evolutionary process to be to, to have movement. So they were allowed, but um, but now they're kind of taking too much influence. They've become too autonomous. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you said this as well is that in the initially the Aramanic forces didn't have a kind of self consciousness. They were just those forces, but at some point they became more aware mm. and then they became more aware of what they were doing deliberately and became the forces that they are now, which is a deliberate intent to hold back the, the evolutionary process. So you have, in what I think what you wrote, you said there was a, a before and an after mode where greater self-awareness came into the Aramanic forces. Did you not? Yeah, interesting. Again, forgotten that, but it rings a bell and it sounds right. And I don't know, back then I probably wasn't even thinking so much in terms of AI and the singularity, although I was aware of it. Uh, but that seems like a mirror for that, doesn't it? Like the singularity has to do with the artificial intelligence becoming conscious, which itself has to do with an exponential growth curve as in if you can create technology that can then create technology that's more advanced than itself at a certain point you get to this exponential growth where it just <clears throat> so i mean we seem to be on the verge of that or at least in a certain sense on the verge of that um and i wonder because if you're talking about a blind force of nature and actually this is said about satan in certain texts like I think, and it's not my own interpretation only anyway, that 
uh, well, Elizabeth Hake's initiation comes to mind that Satan is the law of matter. And so it's an innate, like gravity, for example, it's just an innate quality to physical existence. You can't be part of physical existence without getting acquainted with the satanic principles. But uh, through our own uh, identification with investment in and projection onto Satan has over time, this is a radical interpretation, perhaps become conscious, become sentient, become personified, like we have personified Satan in a certain sense. And that, and so then it becomes truly malevolent, but probably only because of our own disowned stuff. So it sounds like something similar about Araman, who d- does closely equate with Satan, even though obviously Lucifer is also can be conflated there, mm-hmm. that uh, as Araman became, as that force of inertia, that principle of inertia and decay uh, became, and even the intellect, the intellect in a certain sense is more like a tool than, than, than a, it's not the source of sentience intellect, I would say, but it's, it can be a tool for consciousness, but consciousness itself doesn't come from the intellect or even dwell within it any more than it does a hammer, let's say. So entropy, decay, and the intellect, some sort of correlation there. Maybe it's knowledge of good and evil relating to when we, when we make things finite and we make them, as you mm-hmm. said, when we separate closed systems and the entropy enters in, that those, those forces anyway, the aromatic forces, as they became more sentient, probably again, it's Lucifer's shadow thing, but however it was through our own disowned stuff, I think they were kind of feeding off us in some way. Uh, Then they became more conscious, more malevolent. Like it's it's one thing if it's Mm -hmm. a blind force that's simply serving the principles of existence. Quite another if it starts to become Mm -hmm. weirdly self-aware. This is the trope about the machine, the rise Mm. of the machines, because as self-awareness enters into this program, it starts to see, it starts to have a self-preservation instinct. And then it's like destroy all humans. (laughs) They're the one threat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that does make sense if like, you know, in in the whole evolutionary system, you need some force of entropy because they are kind of, you know, grist to the mill, as we say. You know, where you need something to to kind of counteract to move forward. But if it's a blind force fulfilling a function, fair enough. But if that force then starts to, as you say, be more sentient, then it's going to be more malevolent. And it can only be more sentient if it's operating through the means that the let's say the channels to be more sentient. You know. Um, if you know a small a small stream can only go if there's a, a small groove trench in the ground. But if you dig the trench into a larger trench, you get a bigger stream. You know, so it can only operate when there's more, uh, let's say, medium through it to operate. Mm. And you know, Steiner did say, uh, if you want to see the presence of Ariaman, these are certain conditions which show you the greater manifestation. And he said things like. Um, quantitative uh, elements where statistics and numbers are more important Um, you know structures where bureaucracy and you know red tape and um, these controlling structures um, 
by showing you that if you have a society with more of these kind of elements, there's more aromatic presence. And then, of course, he alluded to technology. And I think that's where it brings us where we are now. So, you know, if we if we are in a, let's say, an Amish society without technology, we're not going to have much presence of the aromatic forces because they can't manifest. You know, and because we're in a physical existence, you need a body to to work through, whether it's a flesh and blood body or statistics or, you know, or institutions or technology. But now, you know, we're building and building upon this kind of this kind of intellectualized structure whereby we've gone from the abacus to, you know, machine intelligence. So if we're putting all this infrastructure of technology around us, and of course now creating machine intelligence and algorithms, whereby, of course, all those elements are mechanizing life, increasing the mechanizing of thinking, mm. and it's a perfect playground for aromatic forces to be let loose because it's, it's their element. So the question is, are we being influenced and duly to create this um, playground or to create this um, medium that is more that you know that is more facilitates aromatic presence? You know, it's as if the aromatic presence is seeding influence for us to create uh, a more uh, you know in, an environment more suitable for it to be present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the unconscious is, is to me, that's, it's got to be what this is all about. Like, are we becoming less and less conscious the more that we participate in, become complicit with the creation of technology that extends our power and influence in the material realm, but also facilitates unconsciousness because you think about the quake of the amish or what mm -hmm. have you they're living off the land because they have a direct experience of entropy and death because they die and they rot right but and, and with farming and stuff you've got to be constantly aware of the forces of nature the laws of matter but um it's compared to what you were describing there where we're living in a world that, that again it's the singularity we create um, not just technology, but social structures, uh, forms of transport and convenience, all the rest of it basically is technology, that then it then facilitates new developments of technology. Without, you know, without the telephone and the printing press and plane, you know, air travel and whatnot, we were very limited in terms of how much we could extend technology and develop new forms of technology. But once we had those forms of technology that turbo boosted our capacity to create ever more sophisticated forms of technology. And now we're into nanotech. And again, like I say, there are presumed there are machines that themselves can do things that we can't do with our own hands and so on. So it's like we create, we have co-created with this force a world in which um, our interactions with the physical reality as compared to the Amish, the farm people, you know, people who live on the land, uh, is more and more mediated, indirect. And so, and what it's being mediated through, as you're pointing out, is, is a, a world, if we can call it that, an infrastructure that's created through numbers. Essentially, like all technology really is about measurement and numbers to mathematics to one degree or another. 
which is soon mentioned Islam because they they're very set are a very central uh, Arabic culture with, with mathematics um, but now it's particularly like with the with the tech uh, the information revolution and with uh, whatever we're going to call it computer technology information technology everything is number based so if we think of these numbers as a kind of medium for our manic intelligence to move through then yeah it moves more and more into the world but also more and more into us because that's our we depend on it to interface with reality so you could say we're becoming more and more possessed and so that's why it seems to come to the come back to the unconscious like we're becoming less and less conscious and so as collectively i would say and so people may differ with that but that's my feeling and and so then what happens to that uh, conscious material that's being pushed into the unconscious it must go somewhere so i'd say it's going to the aramanic uh, force and making it more conscious and more malevolent because it's disowned right what what do we become unconscious of the stuff we don't want to know so it's of course it can be used against it and a lot of it is maybe not malevolent but it's traumatic and dysfunctional like we disown our rage we disown our sorrow we disown, we disown our hatred all the stuff we don't like about ourselves is what is central to what we disown so if you imagine an aromantic force like ai that's becoming more and more sentient through humanity's willing willful unconsciousness and disown stuff it's kind of all the the worst of humanity that's more and more materializing through this force. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the computer language, you know, is based around binary, zero and one. Um, you know, and, but human language is principally a kind of, uh, it's a kind of visionary. Language is, is a visionary element. And, you know, We've we've been creative and and we've been inspirational through language and you know these human elements. Whereby, as you said, there's now this push to get you know, and this is a push, especially in the many of the Western nations, to get people into the cities, out of the out of the countryside, out of that contact with these kind of you know animated natural forces, and to get more accustomed to being in a kind of um, smart grid, numerological kind of environment. And so, of course, that's taking the kind of inspirational element away from, from you know, humanity in a kind of general sense. Um, and also, I think that's what's causing the disconnect, because if you're working through a visionary language, whether it's poetry or farming or, you know, these elements, then you're all you're in contact with, you know, the visionary human spirit. But if you're going into a world where algorithms will, you know, will um, allow you to move through life. If you want to know how you're sleeping, you buy a, a wristband that's connected to Google. And it tells you how, what your sleeping patterns are. I mean, tells you, you know, what, what calories you used up during the day. Then we are losing contact with our own, let's say, innate intelligence through the body to, f- to figure out, am I sleeping well or not? To a to a kind of wristband that's telling you whether you're sleeping well or not. And that's based on algorithms. So this kind of substitution of the innate visionary element into um, 
let's say, uh, the machinic element is, in a sense, um, developing that disconnect in the human being. And as you say, moving more into the realm of the unconscious. And you're very familiar with, with Don Juan and the, the foreign installation, you know. And Don Juan, I think one of the great, one of the most in, impacting lines that he said was, you know, they gave you their mind. That was the great heist, the great trick. Mm. You know, this, this kind of foreign intervention, let's call it aromatic intervention, or something which is foreign to the innate human visionary divine self, the reason it gets so much influence is that it's given us their way of thinking. So the more we go into a machine way of thinking, we're operating through their way of thinking and giving them, as you say, the, the conduit to, to then develop more their, their environment to be, to be more present. Mm. Have you <clears throat> heard or read the portion, I put it on YouTube, but you may well not have seen it, but where Steiner talked about in 1917 about <clears throat> the plan to create a vaccine that would shut down our spiritual senses. Yes, um, I didn't see the YouTube, but I came across it in um, the series of his published lectures called uh, The Fall of the Spirits of Darkness, where he mentioned that medical vaccines would, you say, cut off that spiritual impulse. Um, and I wanted to get to that kind of element as well in chatting with you now about um, before the interventions were more external, you know, through through systems, institutional, uh, you know, institutional kind of structures and through bureaucracy. But now the interventions, especially in the last few years with nanotechnology, the medical um, power structure, the intervention is becoming intra-body, inside our bodies. And that could, is that, I mean, the question is, is that going to lead to the ultimate disconnect? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's because here we have a collision between the abstract and, let's say, the academic, somewhat the theoretical, and the very real, possibly very real current, you know, what's happening right now to everybody we know, whether most people I know, thank God, are saying no. As, at least to the jab, at least to having something put in their body that they do not know what it is, but they do they do know it's not safe. It seems as though everybody must know it's not safe mm-hmm. now, but apparently not. Um, <laughs> but uh, what was I saying? Yeah, yeah, most people I know are saying no, but um, they're still affected. I mean, we can't not be affected by what's happening. And um, well, I mean, without going all the way into that, because we could obviously just talk a lot about just that and what's going on in our own lives and what we're mm-hmm. seeing. But I'm presuming that you're having at least somewhat uh, comparable experiences in terms of people you know and uh, the pressure that's being applied and all the rest of it. So that's that's all just very real, very tangible. And then we're talking about something that's super abstract. And you say most people wouldn't even know who you were talking about when you said Iron Man, not that you need the name to talk about mm-hmm. these things. Um, and 
Well, I guess one of the problems I have around the vaccine with people uh, was not a vaccine, but the truth, the gene serum, I said truth serum, <laughs> um, the foreign installation, <laughs> let's call it that. Let's call it that, the foreign installation, because mm-hmm. that's, that's an yeah. accurate description of what it is. Um, is is that I've you know my whole life as you probably picked up from what you have read in my work, my whole life I've been I've had a sense of malevolent forces at work in the world, in my own body, in my family, just everywhere. Whether they were aromatic or whether you know I, I ever needed to identify them in that way. I mean, satanic obviously is an easy Christian framework, um, but. Uh, uh, you know, rose by any other name or a power ship by any other name, it stinks the same. And uh, so for me, I mean, as soon as I hear uh, get any kind of wind that there's some sort of medical invention that's going to be imposed, then I I feel as though I know that that's those those forces at work. Because what else is it going to be? But of course, for most people, they mm-hmm. they don't have that background of felt sense much or or research and or research whereby or or, and because of which it's a huge leap for most people to to see a medical intervention even as as deeply irresponsible it's a leap for some people but but as as malevolent and as intentionally destructive that's a really big leap so then if you take it to our manic you know demonic uh, mm-hmm. uh, manipulations that have gone on for hundreds of years and you're talking right off the chart for most people right? so that's a huge spectrum i just want to point out which we're, we're now straddling it so on one hand our manic manipulations on the other hand what's happening right now in the world for us perhaps for you and i they're, they're perfectly compatible and one is as a as a perfect example of the other but presumably you find for most people uh, that's a bridge too far mm-hmm. you know as i yeah as i say um you can see behind the scene what's going on if you look at the the features of something you know mm. and the features of what's going on now with this kind of medical tyranny is that you know is is very blatantly this you know the the narrative is that this has a 99.4% survival rate. And yet, those people who fall into the narrative are ruled by fear of death, which is, of course, the aromatic impulse, is to create this fear of death. There is no resurrection. There is no life after death. Your mortality is, is final. And therefore, that fear is the fear of entropy, mm-hmm. you know? Which is the which is the aromatic presence, and so even though um, we've been told to our faces that medically this has been whatever scientific narrative ninety nine point four percent survival rate, you still need it because of the fear factor. Yeah. So that con- that that kind of you know um, contradiction still is not apparent to many people. Is that the the, you know the fear factor overrules that and i think that that it overrules it because there's a great deal of unconsciousness because i think through 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 decades there's been a huge program to to um 
desensitize and slowly dumb down people's active innate awareness through education, through um, obedience to authority programming, and, and all these structures whereby slowly, you know, as you say, we, many, many people are existing through greater unconsciousness than conscious awareness. So although those of us now, like we have in this conversation, we can see the blatant, obvious blatant inconsistencies, but you need, you need a minimum amount of, of awareness to pick that up. You know? But I think that minimum amount of awareness is being, being slithering less and less through this, through this kind of gradual movement into the mechanization of, of humanity. You could say the dehumanization of the beingness of humanity. So, so for many people, those glaring um, contradictory interventions are just not obvious. Mm. And it's like these two realities have emerged, whereby maybe sometime before there were discrepancies in the kind of reality, shared reality, but you can still have some um, minimum reference points of, of communion. Now it's as if the realities are like split and, you know, you just like, you're on a different train track. And, it, you know, this, this kind of separation is much more apparent now. And that division of, is very aromatic. What do you think? I'm a rolling stone Just a lad, nearly 22, neither good or bad, just a kid like you. And now I'm lost, too late to pray, I'm rolling down that lost
Well, the fragmentation and atomization, I think, is that's the quality of Araman or a function of Araman forces, if seem to remember. And I mean, I, I know one of the podcasts I did about Steiner's work, I was referring to that uh, in terms of what we're seeing with identity politics, the reification of the, I wouldn't even say individual is right, the reification of the false identity, because identity politics, they're not really about individuality. There's a paradox in there because actually it's a homo- homogenization of cultures, the prime directive of you know, the starship enterprise of this ideology is to make everyone the same. Uh, and you have to think a certain way. Uh, but on the outside, you, there's many bells and whistles that are customized to your own sense of identity, the better. So it's all about exteriorized individuality, but internally, you're supposed to be conforming, conforming, and becoming more and more uh, compatible with uh, or digestible to the Borgian, you know, the, the, the uber identity mm-hmm. of our man, let's say, just to keep it on topic. So, so with identity politics, there's I mean, one thing I've observed over time, it's a splitting more and more into groups. And eventually it's a splitting. So every individual has to have his own set of rights, right? It's not just, I mean, how many gender pronouns can you have? How many initials can you add to LGBT, et cetera, right? You just keep on adding until there's 8 billion and then everybody's happy and every man is an island and fragmentation is complete, mm-hmm. and the system, I think that this relates to the Internet of Bodies, if it's called that, that they're trying, they, the Araman, let's say, let's keep it abstract, is trying to uh, create a counterfeit of reality using human bodies as nodes of a huge computer system, so that um, essentially we're no longer connected in any way at all to nature, to our own bodies or to ourselves, but only, again, through a media, you know, through the, the nanobots in our bodies, essentially, or to the implant, mm-hmm. through the implants in our brains. So, yeah, any kind of human connection, therefore, is, uh, is entirely aromantic. And human bodies and human society has become a, a, like a landing pad for the aromantic consciousness to fully incarnate here and have a body body you know this is the counterfeit of the body of christ or the communion of the saints mm-hmm. yeah i mean you you i think you you kind of nailed it pretty well the fragmentation of the psyche and the prisoner of infinity and then now we're talking about the fragmentation of kind of the, the social aspect through all these identity politics and and political um kind of uh, machinations and Machiavellian politics to its, you know, to the extreme with all these, you know, left-to-right groupings which are, you know, manufactured landscapes. Mm. And now I think we're getting to the the fragmentation of the body, mm. um, which I kind of I frame around the idea of the weak body. You know, even though the the human immune system has been evolved over over aeons to be a wonderful um, natural system we've been programmed to say that the immune system is weak and we need medical intervention, which then is one step towards a transhumanist agenda of putting more things in the body, 
and more things and not just nanobots, but, you know, hybrid appendices. So it gets to the point where, you know, the body is fragmented. It isn't, it isn't a wholeness. And so, you know, when you have a fragmented body um, and a fragmented psyche and a fragmented landscape socially and culturally, then that is the body of Araman consciousness to come through. Mm. And, you know, and then, you know, it's only, it's only a, a small step to this scenario, which is being called, you know, the, what are the sky grid, the, the Terminator sky grid, Skynet. the singularity, Skynet. Yeah. Um, Skynet, yeah. Is that, you know, a body, you know, the internet was called, you know, yes, the, the body of things. And then it, obviously now the, it's IOT, the internet of things. So the body isn't even mentioned. The disconnect in the vocabulary is already there. The Internet of Things, which includes us, the human body, but it now it's a thing. Um, but the the spiritual consciousness, to, to frame that kind of generic term, let's say um, the the soul spiritual consciousness can come through a human body, but needs a vehicle which is more integrated to be more manifest. Mm. But if the body is fragmented, then of course you're allowing the body as a vehicle for a more aromatic type of consciousness. And this is the playing field, which I think is, is really kind of coming to a head now and, and as we go forward. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the thing I keep coming back to in my own imaginings uh, and conversations too, is what, so what happens to the souls that can't incarnate? And I don't mean that literally. I don't, I'm not sure I believe in individual souls as a general thing but uh, uh, certainly not in a reincarnational sense but anyway the consciousness the like conscious life force that is having a harder and harder time getting into bodies i would say it was hard enough in our generation with the birth procedures and whatnot yes. and i'm very aware and have been aware my whole life that most of my life force slash soul essence didn't make it my, into my body and my my life has all been all about just trying to clear out and unify the different parts of the body so that more and more the life conscious life force could dwell here that's it in a nutshell my whole life so that's it's, it's probably never been easy but it's got harder and harder and it was hard enough in your and my time but now it's off the chart um so and because, as I was saying, the, the human bodies are be, have been co-opted by an aromantic agenda, so that they're being turned into t nodes of a technology to extend its reign on the planet and its influence. Um, so uh, what's happening to the consciousness that isn't able to land? Because my sense is that there's, a, there's a two sides to this agenda, that the Araman force that is becoming more and more sentient is taking over these bodies while at the same time this this the conscious life force that isn't able to incarnate is somehow being harvested mm -hmm. that's i don't know if that's a question yeah and but, uh. <laughs> well i think there's like if, if you're talking about harvesting then it comes to immediately comes to the idea of the eighth sphere Okay. Which, um, which Steiner touched upon, and the eighth sphere has a kind of, um, well, it's a, 
an odd kind of a existence. I mean, are you aware of the, some of the, the 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 talk around the eighth sphere? No, somebody emailed me about it a few months ago. Like, very, oh, you need to know about the eighth sphere. So I, I'm vaguely, slightly familiar, but hardly at all. Well, there's not much information about it or in the literature, but the story goes is that um, A.P. Sinnott, who was one of the uh, leading voices in the theosophy movement and worked with Blavatsky, um, he wrote a book called Esoteric Buddhism. And I think around 1880, 18, late 1870s, 1880. And he, he was the first person to write about the eighth sphere in the public domain. And he said that he got this information from his sources that was coming through theosophy. And he said that the eighth sphere is a kind of harvesting element, um, a, a realm that tries to um, like take harvest things from humanity or like a, 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 let's say a soul harvester. But he equated it with the moon. He said the moon can be equated with the eighth sphere. Mm. Now, several years after that, Steiner came out and said, I have to talk about the eighth sphere because until now, the eighth sphere has been one of the, the most well-kept secrets in the um, wisdom schools. Or, um, and it was, not, it was not going to be for public exposure. But A.P. Sinner has talked about it incorrectly. And therefore, I'm compelled to talk about it publicly to readdress his incorrect interpretation. And not only Steiner, but uh, Harrison, also uh, a British occultist, uh, published, he had a series of lectures around 1890 called The Transcendental Universe, G. Harrison. And he did the same thing. He was compelled to correct Sinnott's um, faux pas. And what these voices, Stein and, and Harrison, were saying is that the eighth sphere cannot be equated with the moon or any kind of physical place. But it is, it is a realm. And for want of a better word, you could call it a kind of shadowy realm, an intangible realm. But what, what it exists is there's the, the Lucifer and Ariman sometimes are working together, which, oft, which doesn't generally happen. But these forces are working to try to, um, if you say, um, take the, the creations of consciousness or the impulses of the human spirit and to try to take them to this other intangible realm. And in that realm, for example, the human spirit cannot reincarnate. It cannot be released. It cannot continue its journey. It's been hijacked, let's say, to colonize another realm, mm. a realm which is of a, of a much kind of more an entropic realm, a realm where the human uh, spiritual impulse cannot evolve, cannot, um, you know, is, is kind of a shadow side of itself. And you know, that was not, information was not going to be made public because in, you know, we don't know how humans would back to that idea of a kind of, let's say, for want of a better word, a, a prison of the spirit, where you cannot continue on your evolutionary path. You're trapped into this kind of cycle where you go from the earth into the eighth sphere. And um, it's a kind of containment. 
And uh, it also makes me think on a physical level about containment. You know, the Earth now is surrounded by tens of thousands of satellites with plans for even more. And they're creating a kind of Faraday cage, a kind of electromagnetic um, physical kind of cage. So on one level, we're seeing this physically reproduced. But on another level, there is this eighth sphere, which is a type of soul containment. And, um, and it's, you know, some reason now the eighth sphere has been coming up in more open dialogue. There are people talking about it. it um, she's a kind of, she writes about Steiner, but is very much talking about the, the uh, physical elements, the electromagnetic pollution of the earth, um, the ionosphere, the satellites, um, but the eight spheres in the background, there's these two containment, tangible and intangible containment fields. Who is so that that you just mentioned? That's part of the dialogue. It's difficult. Mm. Who? Sorry. You just quoted someone who just mentioned yeah. a woman, but I didn't catch the name. Yeah. Freeland. Eleanor Freeland um, um, has been written, writing about the technological advancements, but from a Steiner perspective. Um, her, her last book was called Under an Ionized Sky. Um, She's got a new one coming out in a few months, but um, there's this awareness that on the physical level, there's a technological containment being developed. But, you know, but there's also, especially through the Steiner work, being an understanding that there's a kind of you know, an intangible containment of the spirit, which is being referenced as the eighth sphere. Mm. But I can't, I, you know, it's very hard to get more, more kind of understanding of the eighth sphere because it, it's... It's not much is being kind of released on that yet. Is there any speculation or, or more than speculation, perhaps, about what the experience is like for a soul that is, or a consciousness that is uh, confined to the eighth sphere? Well, um, there was a book published about 15 years ago called, called The Zelator by. Have you come across that? Mm. I think it was David Overson wrote it. And basically, um, this David Overson is a, uh, let's say, a, a writer of these themes. And the book, The Zelator, is about he came in contact with a person who had been involved in the mystery schools and the wisdom tradition all his life. And on his basically dying years, he reveals a lot of information about um, the wisdom school knowledge. And this information was put into a book called The Zelator. And in The Zelator, this, this guy who now is nearing his death is releasing information. He says that the eighth sphere is very much like a, a shadow land, um, whereby it's a kind of um, poor copy of what could be a vital life, like a vital earth, a vital existence. It's a kind of shadow existence. And it's a very dense, um, non-vital domain. So to be trapped in there is like, um, I suppose to give an analogy, to give an analogy, uh, Carlos Castaneda in one of his later books, The Art of Dreaming, talked about nearly being trapped in these in the domain with the blue entities i think he called them 
you know i think just it just comes to my mind that could be also a kind of um reference point where the the, the entities that castida almost gets trapped within but gets pulled out the last minute by jean joam that realm was a kind of it's a kind of inanimate realm mm-hmm. whereby there's life but it's not animated it's a shadow um non-life kind of realm um my brain just started and had a number of thoughts um yeah so that's that idea that surrogate non-realities like dream realities can be created and sustained and then souls can be lured into them as as the the final thesis of 16 maps of hearts the last chapter that i that i added towards the end when i realized i couldn't i hadn't finished it and and the relation between that and filmmaking and hollywood you know the creation of surrogate realities to lure, to harvest our attention into so that's very on topic with what we've been talking about with the eighth sphere uh, also a personal level i feel as though i've had i mean i know i've had dreams where i've it's like i've been lucid but not lucid enough to realize it's a dream because uh i i'm aware in the dream that reality doesn't feel real which is an experience i had as a child it was quite oppressive uh it was very oppressive and in these dreams i'm looking around at the world the one i'm remembering i'm on the beach but there's many different places i've been in this state and it's like i can't it's like there's a gray film over everything and i can't get to reality and i can't get to the feeling of reality i'm just acutely aware of unreality and it seems paradoxical because i'm present but it's like my consciousness is so reduced that i can barely see at a physical level but in a, at every other level and in every other way it's like i'm a kind of shadow or wraith of my true self and reality accordingly is also just this shadowy gossamer you know that's barely held together and it's quite hellish probably as hellish as as my dreams get and that's saying something um of just being trapped in a place of unreality and not having any any way to parent way to get out um so yeah i feel as like i can relate to that uh and again respect to disembodiment i'd say i've been disconnected from our souls and disconnected from god as the feeling in the dream often like i'm calling out to god um so one one thing i'm wondering about the eighth sphere is has it been speculated that it's a kind of quarantine that's the consciousness is that uh are so dysfunctional that they're potentially destructive destructive even beyond the physical realm uh they just they end up in the eighth sphere because they they, they can't be allowed to just keep on mm-hmm. has there been any speculation about that like a possibly more benign function of the eighth sphere i haven't come across that yet um but it seems is that the eighth sphere is trying to trying to let's say co-opt or harvest as many 
uh, unconscious souls or spirits as possible. So it's not what I the understanding I get. It's not um, trying to only be a you know take out the the dissonant uh, or unruly souls. It's trying to get as many as possible. Sure, like Satan uh, in the end times. And I think, yeah, in a sense, and I think you 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 kind of correctly placed it when your dream it's a kind of state of unreality where you have the barest minimum slither of consciousness enough i mean what can get what can get more hellish than that is that you have the the barest of consciousness to be slightly aware of the of the situation you're in but nothing no awareness to do anything about it i mean if you're not aware at all you know if you're completely kind of spiritually lobotomized then you know you you can't assess a situation and know how bad it is. But if you've got the minimum of consciousness to know the hellish unreality you're in, but you can't do anything about it, that's the worst thing, isn't it? Yeah. And and um, I think also well, you just also mentioned there about the the kind of almost to use the word virtual reality, but a kind of alternative reality. That does this play into also the move towards augmenting our reality you know we're blurring realities and um again we've you know you, you've looked at the film as you're aware of the film surrogate um which you know you, you know where people are, are kind of just become obese blobs sitting at home whereby their surrogate is out there in the world in the kind of you know replacing them mm. it's a kind of replication and and substitution whereby the original being or human being um, has given up its kind of spirit connection and has substituted itself for um, a representation which is completely devoid of the spirit and and runs around in an unreal world. Yeah. Well, that's the uh, often cited idea that consent is required like satan can't just grab anyone he's actually got to, people have to take me satan you know they have to actually at some level reject god reject life uh to make themselves available to that force i think and so that was where i was getting with the quarantine idea as well like yes it may be trying to harvest all the souls it can but no doubt there is there are principles that uh, prevent that from happening at least so far. So that, so the so the consciousnesses that that do end up being harvested, are, um, presumably have specific qualities, characteristics, behaviors, tendencies, and traits. So there may be a, an unconscious function of this strange attractor of the eighth sphere, whatever it is, that's sucking this consciousness into its. Uh, into its container that it it can only take those who are in some sense uh, aligning themselves with unreality and then as a whole collective movement again person infinity is about this or a trajectory of the species through the reification of science and technology scientism and uh, dissociation aids entertainment, video games, movies, etc. The people are becoming inclined to want to take refuge in virtual worlds. 
So sure, it starts out good. Mm-hmm. Of course, people aren't gonna, uh, you know, you don't start start taking heroin because it feels bad. It takes a while before you find out that you've just given over your body and you made yourself a slave to something that's that's gonna suck you dry. Uh, people may well start out experiencing amazing intensification of reality through virtual reality, but over time. Um, well, mm-hmm. I mean, even as their bodies deteriorate, their senses are shutting down physically. So mm-hmm. they're more and more dependent on the technology to create a sense of reality. Well, I mean, that's the perfect trap, essentially. I mean, even just a purely economic model, we see how corporations create products and then they get people to buy them and then they product gets crappier and crappier because once you've got people on board and you figure out ways to save money oh well they won't care they're, you know they'll just want the brand mm-hmm. we see how that's a, stra- a natural entropy in in the corporate industry itself so take this to the aromatic level uh it's not hard to imagine how you start off with an amazing virtual all-around reality experience day by day and you end up in being lured into a more metaphysical underlayer to that where, you know, the kid gloves are off and there's no pretenses. You're just food for, for the devil at that point. And the only yeah. thing you're going to be aware of is you made a very bad choice. I don't doubt it. I mean, I think the strange attractor is going to be very alluring. You know, people wouldn't stick VR goggles on their face if they weren't going to have a, you know, a so-called enjoyable experience from it. The the immersion is going to be very um, alluring. You know, I think that's that's why you go there. And also, and also, 
um, there's, you said, there's a kind of silent complicity. So on one side, there's a, uh, a willingness to enter that because it's alluring and it's, a, and it's a, you know, it's attracting. And then the other side, there's a, there's a kind of complicity by silence because, again, you're very well aware because of your, your breakdown of, of cinema that a lot of messages and a lot of um, agendas are, are blazingly shown in your face. Because there's this kind of, again, this kind of unwritten rule whereby certain um, forces to get by, to bypass the human free will is that they have to present what they intend to do. And if you don't, if you don't say no, then you're given complicity by silence. So all the images and the films and all the subliminals are basically announcing everything right in our faces. But because, you know, we say, I'm not having that because we don't see it, it's blurred in our kind of messed reality, we then, we, get, we give our consent by silent complicity. Um, and that's happening as well. Um, and, you know, I haven't read 16 maps yet, um, because I think all your physical copies were sold out the time I got there, but I will want to look at how you break that down as well. Have you escaped? I, I, I have a sense that you were trying to get to the point where you could work your way through to the exit, no? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, how could I not? All we're talking about now. and um, I mean, that's, that seems to be the most pressing issue now to me is not just can I make it out through and out this aromatic um, snare, but can others come too? You know, are others going to also? Is anyone going to? How many? And and when are they going to commit to that? And what does that commitment look like? Because right? I'm you know I'm trying to model it. Uh, or at least I'm trying to do it and then make what I'm doing useful, as useful to others as possible, maybe partly because I'm addicted to the technology and I want to carry on doing stuff online. But hopefully not only that, uh, there really does seem to be an imperative to connect to as many still half-sentient souls as possible and, and that we assist one another in making sense of this and making finding coherence enough that we can follow the, you know, the breadcrumbs that we left behind a long, long time ago, back out, back out of this maze. Um, so, so yeah, what's next really is, is the question. I mean, obviously for me personally, I know what's next more or less. I'm doing renos and then I'm going to be working the land and learning to farm. But I don't know, uh, at a worldly level, I don't know. Um, and in terms of other people, I have no idea, really. I may just be, may just be alone here. Or, I, don't, I don't know. And I, I, I feel that central to the trap and the snare of the aromatic false identity, intellect, etc., 
which does include the Luciferian disembodiment agenda, most literal in the sense people are trying to leave the planet or convince us that we can leave the planet, which is the more physical version of the going off into, you know, virtual realms, it's going off into space, all of that anyway. Um, uh, I lost my thread. Oh yeah, that it's, um, the real trap is, 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 a disconnection from reality, which isn't isn't primarily even physical reality. Like I feel, we're, well, it's it's prim- It's initially a disconnect from our bodies, but the reason that being disconnected from our bodies and from nature is a problem is because that's that's our only connection point to spirit. Essentially, we may be spirits, but insofar as we've been. Uh, portioned out into these packages of consciousness that can have the potential to evolve let's say through incarnation our only way back to spirit is through the earth and through the body i don't think there's this option of just saying no don't like this place i just want to go back right or 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 i'm going to check out and reincarnate or anything like that it's like we have this one trajectory and so it is about connection to the body and the earth but but that's because that's the means to connecting to eternal reality, which is the res- resurrection. Mm-hmm. Eternal reality is a tautology, I'd say, because it's only the, what is eternal that is real, and vice versa. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's the real exit from hell, I would say. It's not about it's 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 what it's what um, being more embodied being more connected to nature and saying no to all this bullshit allows for, but those are the means and yet not the end. Cause it's that I don't think there are any other ways to really reconfigure our consciousness so that it's in alignment with the divine with existence, except through physical movements and physical engagements and physical choices. And that, that that's the, the matrix that we're in. It's not just this malevolent social system, it's matter. And matter isn't malevolent, but it's heavy, right? It is, you know, Satan is the the prince of this realm. So it's not, it's no picnic either, but it is potentially transformative. So it's, that's my exit, you know, in a nutshell, part of the formula for me uh, to escaping hell is surrendering to hell just surrendering saying i'm in hell but it's not so it's not indulging in it you know, it's not saying i'm in hell woohoo let's just make the most of it mm-hmm. it's it's just allowing the horror of being in hell and uh well i mean we can't move we can't we can't move towards freedom like if you're going to do a prison break you can't be running around trying to recruit people and you know all wired up you have to act like you're just there in the prison and you're doing your time and you're fine and right everything has to look completely normal otherwise you're not going to make the break and on the night of the break you can't be all pumped up either you've got to be super calm because if you're if you're if you're stressed out you'll make a mistake so that that's how i see you know, as an, an analogy that only when we're really relaxed in our nervous systems and at peace in our bodies and really enjoying being here physically can we start to move consciously to the exit. So that that's the thing that's getting harder and harder now, isn't it? Because hysteria is building and it's perfectly understandable. 
why it would be building. Yeah, I'm I'm glad we kind of get to the subject of the subject of the uh, you know the exit because you know we've been talking about the Aramanic influence and you know it can be, sound very oppressive and very um, you know end timeish. So there has to be there has to be some kind of exit. The question is, is it an exit or the, the trap of the revolving door where we come back in but in another place? Right. Um, as you were talking, I just remembered a story that I I read not so long ago and it's about a group of people who they all died together in a in a car crash or something a collective death and then when they when they kind of kind of um, got to the other side they were together and they realized that they were greeted by demons and they said but i we thought we went to to heaven they said no no everyone comes here to hell but um but you know look around enjoy it and then they realized that the, you know, the demons were waiting on them, bringing them food, putting out lavish dinners. And in fact, they, you know, it was enjoyable, wasn't, wasn't uncomfortable. So they, they were you know, living the afterlife in this environment and, and getting everything they wanted and, and that. And then every, and then every, every so often, the, they would have a, a, a kind of a group a group kind of meeting and they can have their complaints and the head dean would come and listen to their complaints. So when the next meeting came around, uh, one of the people said, you know, we, you know, we don't mind living here and we've got all we think we need, but you know, I've noticed something. I've noticed that actually I'm forgetting things. I'm forgetting what happened before. I'm forgetting my memories. I'm even starting to forget the, you know, the names of my friends and the head demon smiled and said, yes, hell, isn't it? <laughs> so, what it means is that my sense is that part of it is a, is a physical uh, situation. And, but the primary thing is like not to lose awareness, mm. not to lose that, you know, you can call it memories, but the awareness. So um, it's getting grounded, getting in the physical nature, but there's something more. There's something that there's awareness has to somehow transform itself and transcend the perception of the reality or perception of its of its state you know for example in um, brave new world Aldous huxley with john the savage when the system couldn't incorporate him and he didn't want to be in the system we can call it you know let's say the the mechanized technological advanced future finally the solution was to put it you know create uh, an area of savageness or an area of physical place where they could put him in his house and he could be happy, you know? So they put him out into his, into his fields, into his rural environment. Um, but he wasn't happy. And, you know, he ends by taking his life. So he got his physical environment, but he didn't get his spiritual connection. So the exit gate is, yes, in one sense, cultivating the environment that is necessary for the human being, environment of nurturing, hopefully environment of being with nature, being in the natural contact, being with vital energies. But ultimately, isn't it about transforming the, or um, expanding the connection of the spirit to, to the source for yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah, something, again, we refer this to the, the uh, foreign import installation of the the jab that's being mandated you know, and the fear of death because uh, something that 
I said a couple of times recently around this is that the more in tune we are with our life force, the less death becomes an issue. The more alive we are, the less real death is, and not in the sense of it's a fantasy, you know, we don't go into fantasy, but death is just, well, it can't kill the life force. It might be able to kill the body, but it can't kill the life force that, that, that gives life to the body. Right? So we, the more we have a felt experience of that, the better we are. And, and the flip side being that the less connected people are to their life force, the less aware they are, the more afraid of death they become. And so that's a vicious circle. Uh, and I thought we could bring it back to our man if we're winding up. That it seems to me that that relates to that because being more in your body and more connected to your life force is it becomes more aware of death. I would say we become more aware of death and how it's inevitable and how it's always present and how it's final and all this, but but less suppressed by it. And and so it seems as though I mean maybe this is what Araman wants. It's, it's like I like was saying that. It, that force is taking our sentience because we're not using it. So we're feeding something and mm-hmm. creating an imbalance. But if we start to take it back um, by whatever means, then the, it's possible that we can become, we become more and more sentient, we become more and more aware of the life force and of death because you can't have one without the other. Essentially, I mean, the life force uh, by entering into the body, like Christ being willing to incarnate, it, it, it submits to the, to the laws of matter. It submits to the force of death. Uh, and to be, and I think it's to allow for an awareness. It's like a redemption process, maybe, that if we can be okay with death in our lives and we can fully uh, accept the force of inertia and decay and of death in our own bodies. And of course, getting old, disease, aches and pains, you don't have much choice. I mean, you've got to go one way or the other. Either you accept it and learn to live with it in a way that is nourishing and not frightening and oppressive, or you go the other way. But if you do go the the right way, um, and I do feel I can testify to this like I am getting older I'm 54 and I'm more and more aware like sleeping at night I can't lie on one side for too long without aches and pains and there's a lot of signals I'm getting old and you know it's only going to get worse but it doesn't really bother me I mean actually I'm really surprised because it used those things used to bother me um and it can only be because of this that I'm becoming more and more spacious in in the body, there's more and more access to the interior spaces of the body, the more and more life force to distribute, more and more consciousness. And so then the force of death and the force of inertia and decay in Araman, let's say, and this may even be a, an entity that installed itself in itself in our nervous system, because uh, Steiner talks about that or in a thing called the double. I don't know if you heard that one, but he talks about an entity that, an aromanic entity that installs ourselves in itself in our nervous system around conceptual birth or somewhere between the two uh, through electrical charge. Um, so it may be, we may be talking about something that's viscerally present, it's not just some idea. And that 
the acceptance of it um, allows it to be just naturally assimilated into the body system. And, well, it's death, where is thy sting? It just becomes part of life and it's just part of the body. I mean, the body has to have pain, otherwise it wouldn't know when it's doing things wrong. Uh, It has to have death because otherwise, well, there wouldn't really be any container for life at all and so on. And so that potentially, I think, the, the, the power of awareness combined with acceptance can transform uh, even death or even the devil into something that's benign, I hope. Anyway, that's my optimistic uh, prescription. No, I would, I would kind, of, kind of sum up in a similar way is that um, ultimately I'm optimistic and it's because discussing Araman and being aware of entropic forcing is not a negative thing. It's ne- awareness is necessary. Otherwise, you can get pulled into it. What I, what I feel and what I try and do through my work is just make people aware that, you know, there's these aspects that um, should be kind of uh, recognized. But ultimately, the human spirit or what we call the human spirit or the, the, divine, the sacred uh, incarnation of the human body, that sacredness cannot be destroyed or taken away. It can be utilized if we're not using it. You know, if we're not using it, then we're giving away part of our vital liberty. And we can be co-opted into, you know, serving another agenda and having minimal awareness, having minimal activation of our vital sacred forces. But it cannot be destroyed. I mean, you cannot take away that which is eternal. Um, But the question is, does it manifest? Does it manifest through us, you, me, other people in this lifetime? And to what degree? And my understanding, my sense, and and what I intuit is that if we can be aware of it, we can be more allowing of its reception and of it coming through our lives. And I also get a feeling that, you know, there is a growing awareness across the planet. It may not seem like it, but there is this um, receptivity and increasing manifestation of this, of the, the human, let's say, the spirit, sacredness coming through humanity. It's just that we are deliberately being distracted to be not aware of it. And if we're not aware of it, most people think that it's not present. And, you know, you're more, you're more sucked into the, the, um, the non-reality, which is becoming the the kind of so-called dominant reality but no i i do feel that you know the spirit is coming through more and we can just play our part by being aware of it making talking about like we are now and and trying to to share that awareness um because you know when you walk into let me it may be a cliche but you walk into a dark room all you need is you know a small match to bring light to the room you know the the, the spirit is so, so much more stronger than the entropy. But the entropy only gains effect when we are like fearing it. We fear death. And that's what's gained a hold over people, whether through the medical tyranny has controlled so many people through the fear of death. But as you rightly said, if we can just accept our mortality and recognize it as a part of 
going through the whole transformative journey of being through this in this realm, then you know death has no hold over us. It's just a, another exit point, and uh, and with that, you know, we can create our own exits. Yeah. Well, we did get to the positive there. It wasn't that hard. Um, no, you just have to wade through all the bits before. Yeah, well, it's it's experiential, isn't it? Because I agree with what you said. In, in terms of my own life, I, I see the people I know and connect to are becoming more enlivened and more embodied and good. I don't know if it has anything to do with numbers. I, I, don't, don't, I don't infer from that that more people are becoming that way. I just, the people I know are becoming more. So that's good. I mean, that's good enough for me. Mm-hmm. And I try not to, you know, I can't help but hear about what's going on in the world, but I don't have, I don't have hope for humanity, but I don't need it. From what we just said, like the spirit that dwells humanity is going to prevail. Well, I just went out of focus there. Uh, mm-hmm. And well, there'll be a few survivors, I'm confident yeah. of that. Well, the spirit will always prevail. Now it's everyone's individual responsibility to kind of does it manifest through each person or what? what are the choice is each person going to choose for their experiential journey in this in this realm in this lifetime um yeah you know and if we can gain awareness we may help our own we may help our own experiential journey in our evolution if we choose to be unconscious okay you know we choose to be unconscious um or we may be led down an unconscious path unknowingly um all you know all we can do is just um, share these conversations and share the awareness and every person is on their own path until they're not until we see that there's no path and no person something else is happening mm-hmm. yeah i mean the extreme alternative, you know, do we want to consider it? Um, so, well, I suppose we have. That's I think. I think there's say. an innate. Yeah, we have to not to the extreme that it takes over all um, the playing field, but we've you know we've considered it to the point where you know it's obvious where to take it to the extreme. Yeah, so that, you know, other people can take it to the extreme if they wish to. Uh, well, I was thinking, but I, you know, for if, people to um, a delay there. I mean, I, I don't feel I need to take to go over, over and over. You know how how terrible our potential fate is collectively for myself because I'm, <laughs> as I said, I've always known it, it looked bad, mm-hmm. but I feel that it can be helpful for one or two people if they get a more visceral sense of, oh, shit, this is where all those little choices I've made over my life 
eventually this is where they're leading. So maybe, just maybe, I should start making some alternate choices. Yeah, it probably comes down to that. It's not, it's not difficult to make choices. It's difficult to leave behind what you think um, is your containment. You know, making choices about shifting what you invest yourself in. Um, yeah. You know, you can speak to people and say, well, I can't do that because I've got a job. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, you know, but it doesn't mean the choice is not closed to you. No, that's right. Um, that's why accepting death is 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 the we, most liberating potential. Because if you're willing to make choices yeah. that aren't based on survival, then you you can do anything. Yeah, and if you change your perception perspectives first, you may be surprised about how that influences your external kind of connections and how they start to shift. But you see, you know. Humanity reflects so much of its own state externally that if you want to give yourself some opportunities, you have to kind of make an internal shift first. Otherwise, you'll be perceiving the same external blockages. Mm. Probably why both of us have moved so many times in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's a good, that's a good point to end on because that's just mm. very clear and succinct. Yeah. That's the principle, isn't it? Yeah. Engagement with reality, as within, yeah. without. Yeah, and do you have to engage with it? Yeah, we're the only one here. There ends that conversation with Kingsley Dennis. Find out more about Kingsley by following the link in the show notes. Next week's podcast, uh, I'll be back with Kate, and uh, hopefully, if it happens, we'll be talking to Anne Diamond. For those who haven't registered at the new site, Landmade Men, didn't get the newsletter, there's a few announcements. One is there's an event at the Stoa on Zoom uh, this Friday at uh, noon eastern time which i think is around 5 p.m my time galician time 4 p.m uk time um also i'm going to be doing daily zoom talks of 20 minutes uh, at uh, 12:30 p.m uk time uh, so the link you can get by registering at the site or by emailing me Jason with a u at protonmilk.com and the audios from those daily talks will be available to contributors that's donators or pay or players involved in the Landmade Man project uh, beyond that there's the three or now maybe four weekly affinity groups including one on Saturday at uh, 11 a.m. UK time 
to be compatible with those of Australia. All of this uh, is not a mad rush exactly, but it is an uh, intensification and concentration of activity in the end times on the front line, knowing that uh, time is running out and was only a small window of opportunity now for us to get connected, get reoriented and head towards the exits. Mm -hmm.